Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Preacher Dad Podcast. My name is Jared, and I'm the Preacher Dad. You can find me at PreacherDad.com, where I blog on everything from parenting to politics, while I try to provide the biblical perspective on the issues of our day. What we're trying to do at PreacherDad.com is to equip and inspire Christians in the West, in our culture and society, to engage in the culture war, to put down their their iPads and all their, their fun toys and get into the game, get into the battle. And we want to help you to make a difference for the next generation. So I'm glad to be with you here today. And I want to share with you another in our series on the foundations of our faith. The foundations start in the book of Genesis. So we're going to continue working through the book of Genesis together. I want to share a little bit of that with you because I think it'll be uh, very valuable. I think that the foundations of our faith, of our ideologies, uh, the foundation of our ideology and our faith in Christ is under attack, under a clear attack. So we need to shore up those foundations. So that's why we're going through this together. I'm going to see if I can get through it because I got other stuff to do, folks. You are not the only thing on the docket, but I'm going to see if I can get this done for you. This is uh, number 15 in the series. It's called The Subtle Serpent, and we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, and it says this. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, Oh my goodness, a talking snake! No, she didn't. <laughs> that's kind of uh, uh, unusual, wouldn't you say? No, she didn't say that. I think that's interesting. But in verse 2, she says, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, that your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. That is where the subtle serpent begins. And we know from other scriptures that this was the devil himself, and he is very crafty. That is what the Hebrew word means. It means crafty. When it says subtle there, and it's not talking about like a Martha, Martha Stewart type of crafty, it's a bad kind of crafty. It's a, it's a very deceptive, deceptive way about the devil. You know, we are warned in Scripture that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. That's from Ephesians 6. The nature of our battle is a spiritual battle, and we have a very crafty spiritual enemy. And we can learn a little bit about his ways through studying this passage of Scripture if we examine the first time that he tried to lie to us, then I think we can learn some things about his strategies. And to strategically work against him is important for us as believers. So the first thing the devil does is he questions the Word. In verse 1, he questions the Word of God. Did God really say blank. Did he really say that you would die if you ate it? He wants to challenge what God said, what he commanded. You see, there's a lot of power in the Word of God. 
That's why the enemy focuses on it. He, he starts by casting doubt upon the word of God, sowing seeds of doubt. That is the first line of attack very often with the devil. Even when the enemy came to Jesus and tried to tempt him, the first thing he did, well, the first thing he did was, uh, why, don't you, why don't you get up and have something to eat? Uh, he appealed to his physical need. But the enemy was casting doubt upon the word of God. He was trying to get the Lord Jesus to question the word, or he was twisting, the enemy was twisting the word to the Lord Jesus. And that's what the enemy does to us often, is he tries to tear down our faith in the word of God. Notice what the the enemy says. He presents it as a negative. He says, did God say that you're not allowed to eat from every tree in the garden? He didn't say, did God say you can eat from all of them except one? He didn't point out the fact that they could eat from every single tree except for one. He pointed out that God says you're not allowed to eat from this one. He's presenting God's word as a negative. It makes it sound restricting or damaging. How often today do people believe that God's commands are restricting or keeping them from enjoying life? that uh, they're, they're holding us back from some wonderful thing, and God's commands are oppressive. Actually, God's commands are usually meant to keep us from damaging things. They're meant for our protection. They're meant to make our lives better. Uh, you can look through the Old Testament and see all of these commandments, and you can see how often they are meant to protect us from something that will hurt us. God's Word does that. It's not this, not this oppressive ball and chain that we put around our ankle. It's actually the, the Word of God is actually what sets us free and makes it so that we can enjoy life so much more if we would just follow the things that He commanded us. Satan challenges God's Word out of the gate. If he can get us to doubt the Word of God, maybe by convincing us we're somehow missing out, he's then gained the most important strategic victory in the battle. If he can convince us to doubt God's word, that is the most important strategic step he can make. Because God's word is our anchor. It's our mooring line. It's the objective truth that keeps us from being led astray by every crafty deceiver. It's pretty easy for us to be deceived if we don't have the Word of God. And so when we neglect the Word of God or put it away, we are more easily tricked. The Word of God is is the cornerstone of what we believe. It is is what we measure everything by. It's the plumb line. It's the the ruler. It's It's the thing that we use to see whether or not something is true. It's the definition of truth. And so we are more easily deceived if the enemy can start to make us doubt. Did God really say that? Did he actually say this? So he questions the word. The next thing he does is he questions the one. He questions the one. In verses 4 and 5, he says, You shall not die. That is an overt lie. He is absolutely no longer just trying to subtly cast some doubt about, Did God really say this? Now he's trying to challenge the character of God himself 
by saying that's not what God, that's not what will happen. God told you a lie. That's what he's saying. He's saying, um, <clears throat> you shall not surely die. God, God told you you will, but you're not going to. He knows about the wonderful things that you'll get if you taste this fruit, and he doesn't want you to have it. He wants to keep you in your place. That's what he's doing. He's challenging the character of God. So think about this here. The deceiver, the father of lies, the father of lies, accuses the holy, almighty God in heaven, the truth himself, of telling a lie. Would this be the first case of irony in the Bible? It is the first case of a lie. This is the first lie in the Bible. It's also incredibly ironic that the father of lies accuses truth himself of telling a lie. Now he's openly challenging God's word. He's not just casting doubt. He's actually challenging the fact that God said the truth. God did not say the truth. That's not what will happen. Again, he makes it sound like Eve is missing out, like she's being fooled, that her eyes will be opened. She'll have so much a better life if she will just believe the serpent instead of believe God himself. Maybe this is also the first effective marketing campaign. Commercials are effective if they make you believe that you're missing out, that you're not complete until you own their product. Your floors aren't really clean until you buy this one. Your car isn't really fast until you buy this car. Your phone isn't cool until you get the one we have. And that's what the devil is telling her. He is he's selling a product. He's saying, you're not really smart yet. Your eyes aren't really open yet. But when you taste this fruit, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God's. How effectively... Satan does this to us. He helps us believe things about God's character that are not true. Things like God is overbearing, or demanding, or unreasonable, or sadistic, or unmerciful, or untrue, or even unreal. Or perhaps that God is never a judge. He's always loving, meaning gives us whatever we want. And he won't send sinners to hell. God won't send sinners to hell. That is a lie as well. The devil is very good at making us believe things about God's character that are not true, which is why it's very important for us to learn the names of God because they reveal to us who he is and what he is like. The devil often tells us that God is keeping us from some wonderful delight. How precious, how delicious and pleasant our lives would be if only God would allow blank. God likes to rob us of enjoyment. He, he likes to keep us from enjoying life to the fullest. That is a lie the devil has been telling mankind since the garden. And he tells it to us today. And maybe you have been believing that lie. Maybe you believe that because uh, God, you believe things about God that are not true, that somehow God wants you to miss out on all the wonderful things that you can have. If you do, if you do things God's way, well, then you're going to miss out. Well, that's not true. God's ways actually bring us peace, 
freedom, joy, fulfillment. That's the truth. Because, because Jesus said, whoever lays down his life for my sake shall find it. He said, if you try to save your life, you will lose it. But if you lay down your life for my sake, you will find it. And he is talking there of fulfillment. He's speaking not of biological life, like somehow laying your life down for Jesus, taking a bullet for him, or you know, being a martyr is the only way to find fulfillment. No, he's talking about Zoe life. He's talking about the, the life that is the mind, the will, and the emotions, the soul. You find fulfillment in your soul when you lay your life down for Christ, when you lay your mind, your will, and your emotions down unto Christ. You surrender to him. That's where you find fulfillment. But the devil doesn't want us to believe that. He knows that that, if we were to find fulfillment in God, we wouldn't ever turn to him. Conquering lies. How can we conquer these lies? Well, let me tell you that briefly. You know, the devil questioned uh, the word of God, then he questioned the character of God, and so in order to overcome this, we have a subtle hint here in, uh, in what Eve says back to the devil. What she says in verse 3, But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now look back at chapter 2, verse 17 and see the actual command that God gave to them. God says, well, let's look at verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. So God didn't say anything about touching it. And yet somehow Eve is saying that if we touch it, neither shall you touch it. So what that tells us is that she wasn't keeping the commandment. She didn't know the commandment well enough to quote it correctly. She had already started adding things in. She had already laid herself open to deception by neglecting God's command. She neglected it so much that she didn't quote it correctly. Well, it's evident that she was neglected it, neglecting it because she didn't quote it right. Now, I've spoken before, maybe not on this podcast, but certainly if you've heard any of my messages, about the word keep in the scriptures and what that truly means. In both Hebrew and Greek, and actually in English as well, the word means to put a guard around and watch over intently. If I tell you, please would you keep my children for me tonight so I can go out. I'm not asking you to obey my children. I'm asking you to watch over them and guard them and keep them safe. When we say, we're going to go, you know, in the Lord of the Rings, they go to the keep. The keep is a castle. It's a place of safety. When the Bible says, keep my commandments, it's, God is not saying, please obey my commandments. Now, obedience comes from keeping. It's not as if obedience isn't there or isn't part of it. But to keep the commandments means to look at them intently, to guard them, to watch over them. Clearly, Eve was not keeping the commandments. 
It means to cherish it, to meditate upon it in our heart. It's an incredibly important word in the Bible because it comes up so often, but we often misunderstand it when we think about it as just simply obedience. If you love me, keep my commandments. Is Jesus saying that only those who obey the commandments love him? No. Keeping the commandments is to cherish them, to look at them intently, to meditate upon them. And friends, keeping the Word of God to meditate upon the truth is the way that we recognize and defeat the lies of the devil. If we will keep the commandments of God and look at them intently and cherish them and meditate upon them, we will more quickly and easily recognize the deceptions that the enemy throws in our way. We can conquer those lies if we are surrounded by, soaked in, focused upon the truth. And the truth is not just the Bible, it is the Word of God, Jesus Christ, the Logos of God. When we focus on Him, focus on His his face, His attributes, His life, our relationship with Him, we are more easily able to recognize the lies of the devil when we are meditating upon the Word of God. Because meditation upon the Word of God draws us into a deeper relationship with Him. And I speak this to you not because I have it down or I do it well, but because I know it's important. And it's something that I am seeking to do more of in my own life. So I just wanted to share that with you and encourage you to conquer the lies of the devil. First of all, we got to recognize that he, the way that he comes at us, he comes at us by questioning the Word of God. He questions the Word of God, and then he questions the character of God. He'll accuse God of lying. He'll accuse God of being unreal. He'll he'll accuse God of any number of uh, disgusting and wicked attributes, which are not at all part of God's nature, but he's, he's deceptively, craftily, subtly deceiving us. And we can recognize those things if we will soak ourselves in the Word of God, if we'll meditate upon the Scriptures, if we'll seek after it as for hidden treasure, as for gold. If somebody told you you had a, uh, you know, there was an unknown oil well in your backyard and that you could be Jed Clampett, you could you could find an oil if you just dug dug down just just far enough you'd hit that oil and then you would have to worry about uh, financial problems ever again because you would just you would just have this gold mine and you're right in your backyard it's all yours would you go out and buy a shovel immediately would you go grab whatever whatever you know. <laughs> whatever implement you have in your house. I mean, you get a knife and you just start digging and you just get down there until you found that oil because that's treasure. Well, that's what God wants us to do with his word, to seek after it as for hidden treasure. If we recognize the enemy's work and he kind of reveals his strategy here in the first time that he subtly tries to deceive Eve, If we can recognize his work, then we'll be more likely to avoid his deceptions. So that's what I wanted to share with you today. Uh, The first, the the subtle serpent trying to deceive us, the lies, the first lies that he told to us, help us. And I hope that it will help you to avoid his deceptions in the future. 
Thank you for tuning in today. I hope you have a great day wherever you are in your day, whether you're at the beginning or the end. I hope it gets better from here as you walk with the Lord. May God bless you. May he show you the way as you walk forward. And I'll be right there with you. Okay? Thank you so much. Have a great day.